Our scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, found on page 978 in your pew Bibles. Um, please join me in prayer before we go to scripture. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful, deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The word of God for the people of God. I can still remember this conversation I was having with uh, when I was in college. He was a couple of years older, so he seemed like somebody who just knew everything, had it all together. And we were sitting on uh, um, kind of some steps outside late at night. There was a party going on, and you know, this was kind of one of those solve all the problems of the world kind of conversations. And and uh, got around to kind of what we were believing in philosophies and all this. And um, y'all could tell how much fun I was in college, right? I'm out. <laughs> so anyway, um, but I remember he said, I'm trying self-hypnosis now. I'd never heard of self-hypnosis. Um, but anyway, he was trying self-hypnosis now um, because he had tried Christianity and Christianity had not worked for him. I'm immediately thought that was kind of strange, but um, kind of, I, I think that view is probably a little bit more common. Maybe not the self-hypnosis thing, but the whole tried Christianity and it didn't really work out. Maybe you've known people who've kind of, you know, attended worship for a while and, and then um, got distracted with other things in life. Um, maybe you've, you've kind of talk to people who, not, you know, not hostile, they're not saying, I don't believe in God, they're not saying um, it's a bad thing, but they kind of look at Christianity as kind of a hobby, and you can do it if you want, but for them, they would say, I just don't see how it's relevant. Maybe you've heard people say that. Both of those are, and that attitude of kind of Christianity is irrelevant, it doesn't work for me, both kind of assume that we are going for the same things everybody else in the world is, that our desires and motives and goal is what everybody else has. And Christianity and Christ and what he has done for us is an instrument to help us get there. In other words, I want to have a good career, a healthy family, I want to retire, and, and Christianity is a helpful way to do that. 
or I want to be a good person. We want all morality, and, and Christianity is a helpful way to teach my kids to be moral, or we want a stable society, and so this is a helpful thing to do that. And all of those are, can be good things, but they're not the end goal. And so here's the thing. You don't try Christianity. You see the truth of what Christ has done, and you submit to it. So it's no longer I'm going to use God to get what I want. It's now I am come to God, and I submit to him to this truth. I receive this wonderful gift, and whatever he commands, I do. And here's the thing. God is not relevant if something else is your God. If something else is bigger to you than God, God is never going to be relevant to that. In fact, he's going to be the biggest obstacle you ever face. If what you're wanting is is something other than God, God's going to be in the way. So the temptations, well, trusting in Christ is the end. It's not a means to another end. And one of the things Paul is writing to the Ephesians to tell them is you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, but now you have to put on a new person. You have to put on the new life. So you have to live out of the reality. This, that's why so often what he's saying is, I want you to know the truth of who you are. I want you to know the truth of that you were once strangers and now made citizens, that you're, you're filled with Christ. I want you to know his love, and I want you to know his grace. I want you to know that, that truth deep in your hearts so that now you live out of it. So what we have, we grow into. We've been talking about that. So what he's doing now is saying, now that means you have to turn your back on the way you used to do things. You can no longer live as the Gentiles. And for that meant anyone who was outside of God, outside of his covenant, anyone who was following things in a different way. So you can't continue in the path that you were going. You have to uh, no longer walk as the Gentiles, but now you have to put on a new self. You have to live in a Christ. And this, this begins a section, and beginning next week, we're going to kind of verse by verse looking at the things he is saying specifically of doing away falsehood and be um, truthful, being away, putting away anger, um, that we, we do honest work, that, that he's going to work out the practical ways that works, but it all starts with the motive. He doesn't say, now go be good people, follow the law. What he's saying is, you have a new identity in Jesus Christ, And that means you can't live like that old person. You have to live into this new life. You have to grow into who Christ calls us to be. And so he contrasts this old life of the Gentiles, the futility of their minds. Well, apart from God, everything is futile. Everything is empty. I mean, there's a sense in which I, I watch the news at times, and there's all this stuff about, you know, the, these technological advances that are amazing and I love, and, you know, and there's, there's kind of organizing to do certain things, and there's, there's a lot of, t- you know, discussion of technology and methods, and you can go to a bookstore or, I guess, online, and you can find all these books for how to be more effective and how to be more productive and how to do all this thing. But then if you back off and look at it, there's no real sense of an, a goal or a purpose. 
There's talk of progress, but progress to what? There, there's no kind of concept of what we're actually about and what is our purpose. Um, there can be all this discussion, but apart from God, apart from the living God, any discussion of right and wrong is pointless. Any, any discussion of, of being you know, productive and, and producing and doing things apart from kind of some kind of concept of bringing about Christ's kingdom and glorifying him and what our goal and purpose is, is futile. That they're ignorant. They're darkened in their understanding. You know, uh, apart from God, the basic foundation of who we are and what we're for is just a big debate. I mean, I think one of the reasons there's so much division in our, in our nation and debate and discussion is because we're, it's like we're all trying to figure out some end point without anyone giving us that goal, without a God who says this is what the goal is, is what the purpose. So it, it just becomes down to shouting and to power if there's no higher God to appeal to alienated from the life of God because of that ignorance. It means death. You're, you're, you're separated from the one who is the source of all life. And what might be um, the, the, the summation of this, when he's telling them to put off the old self in verse 22, which belongs to your former manner of life, it is corrupt through deceitful desires. In other words, everything's futile, you're alienated from God, you're, you're going off in this way because you are deceived by wrong desire. Your heart wants something else. Your heart wants something other than God himself. You're alienated from the source of life because you've been deceived to think you have life somewhere else. Oh, if I, if I have the right person in my life, then life will be good. If I have the right job, if I just take the next step in career, all my problems, you know, that, that'll solve it for me. If, if I can just get this one thing taken care of, then I have real life. Does it work? Has it ever worked? I mean, do you, do you not know people who chase the wrong thing after the wrong thing after the wrong thing, but never trust in Christ because we're deceived we're told to desire the wrong thing. We're, it's like this. Uh, I've never been to a Greyhound race, but, but watching The Simpsons has informed me a great deal that apparently there's a rabbit that runs around and the dogs chase the rabbit. Don't you know all of us have that rabbit? It's completely fraud that's running us around this race, and we're going in loops, and we think, if I get that one, if I get that one, if I get that, if I get that, you're deceived. And you're deceived in having the wrong desire because everything around us is shouting at you that things in this world can satisfy something that only God can satisfy. And every movie tells you a different story. That if I just find those who accept me for who I am, if I, if I just um, you know, solve this problem, our desires are for anything other than God until your heart desires God for God and not as an instrument to get the rabbit that's running around in that loop. You'll never be truly satisfied, truly happy. And so that's what's describing the Gentiles. 
And so instead of that, put away all that, put away the wrong desires, put away the deceit, put away the alienation, and start walking as someone who loves God and desires God and knows God and trusts God. So one of the problems in the church is we can be tempted to continue to live in that old way where our deepest desire is actually retirement. Our deepest desire is actually healthy family. Our deepest desire is the next level of work. Our deepest desire is romantic love. Our deepest desire is money. Our deepest desire is any of these things. But we use Christianity as a way to go. I mean, we still play the game of Christianity and talk the words and sing the hymns and go through the motions. But deep down, our desire is no longer God. It's really just whatever else it is. And we find peace with this and we kind of believe in assent to the truth, and maybe we do kind of have it here, but we need it knocked down into our heart. That's what Paul's saying. You have this. Stop living like you used to. Stop living like your desire is going to be fulfilled in something other than God. And so notice what he's doing. He's not saying you got to follow the rules or else follow the rules. You're not really a Christian if you don't do this. What he's saying is live into the reality that God has declared of you being his child, being part of his community, and desire God and live out of that desire, live out of that hope you have in him. St. Augustine said, love and do what thou wilt. Love God, love your neighbor, and do whatever you want. You see, if your desires are correct... You're going you're gonna to live out the law. You're going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself to the extent that you desire God and you love him. To the, I mean, to the extent that you love him, you're going to be obedient and do all these things that he's about to talk about, how we live in the truth, that we love him. So when he's talking about, you know, don't do these things, don't walk, don't become callous, that, that means we're... Gross sin no longer even offends you. Don't give yourself up to sensuality, just wanting pleasure and whatever, uh, greedy to practice impurity. Don't do these things. In verse 20, that is not the way you learned Christ. So you're putting these things off because that's no longer who you are. That's not how you learned Christ. And I, I love this. It's not how you learned about Christ. It's that you learned him. The, the word that's being used there, we hear learn, we think of classroom, lectures, books, writing down notes. But the word here is the same word for disciple. Someone who is following Jesus along the way. It's someone who is hearing his teaching, but also watching the way he lives and following him. Uh, kind of more like a, the way an apprentice learns their trade. That's how you learn. That's what, what he's saying. Is you, you're a disciple to Christ. You're learning Christ. You're a disciple. That means we don't just get information about Jesus. It's not like we just have the stories. It's that we have that relationship of a disciple to the master, of an apprentice to the journeyman, of, of one who is walking alongside in such a relationship through our prayer and through hearing about him and being with his people that we, we know Jesus we don't just know about Jesus, that we know him. That's what he's saying that we are. And so it's out of that relationship where we desire him, and so we're following him, that that renews the spirit of our mind. 
We hear the scriptures, we, we take the sacraments, we sing the songs, we, we go through the practices that form us and shape us. And what we're doing as we gather week after week and hearing the same gospel over and over and reading the Bible together over and over is your mind is being shaped away from the deceit you're hearing on television all during the week. Your, your mind is being, the spirit of your mind is being formed taking away all those distortions of the news that we hear, taking away all the distortions of the things, the way the world lives, and reforming you to be shaped and to think about things the way Christ does and, and to change your perception on things to look through the truth of who Christ is, who God is, who we are. And so we have been renewed. We are, we're this new person, no longer walking like that, Becoming someone new, putting on the new self in the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. We're slowly being formed not just to do things differently, but to desire things different, to desire God, to desire holiness, to desire righteousness, to want to please Him, to want to love others, that our motives are now shaped, that we're no longer seeing things. You know, if, if, if you're seeing the love God has for you, people are no longer someone to fulfill your need. Your needs are met in Christ. People are someone now to serve and to love and to build up. If, if you're you know, being shaped, money is no longer something to be grasped and that you need as much of and, and some kind of measure. It's now something to be used to serve God and to be a steward of, to, to do things. It shapes everything. When we, we, we see the world around us, the things that I used to aspire to, and I thought this would be it, I'm now, well, sometimes just completely ignored, but others it's, it, it don't want anything to do with those things that I used to um, respect so much. You see, the thing is, this is throughout Scripture, what you desire and what you desire most is what you worship. When you're by yourself and where your mind is going, that's your God. And you begin to look like whatever you're bowing down to. We begin to resemble whatever we reverence. And if we're desiring anything other than God, we're going to look like something that is ultimately limited, weak, and impossible to fulfill. But the more we look to God, and the more we desire Him, and the more we worship Him, the more we become holy and righteous. That means treating people as they deserve, treating people better than they deserve, being generous and gracious to them, forgiving easier. That's who we become like Christ. So here you go. Go out and do that right? You can't desire God any more than I can desire cauliflower. It would take an act of God to make me desire cauliflower. I've learned it makes good, pretty good pizza crust, though. Um, you, don't, you don't just decide what you desire. It takes an act of God to work into your heart to see him as desirable. And the way that happens is you hear the word of truth and the Holy Spirit applies to you when you see clearly that Jesus loves you. 
It's not a matter of determining I'm going to go out and desire God. It's looking to the cross. It's looking to what this table displays before you. What this table displays before you is that everything else you're looking at is an idol that will let you down. What happens if the rabbit stops, if the dog actually got the rabbit? It's a fake. (laughs) And don't you see anything you're chasing after, anything you're desiring other than God, even if you get it, it wears out. It dies. It lets you down. And haven't you gone enough chasing things that don't work, that don't fulfill, that don't resonate in your heart, that you want to see something that truly will stand up? And that's what's here at the cross. We see his body broken, his blood shed, and what we see is a God who will never let you down because he is a God who doesn't demand. He's a God who gives. He's a God who fulfills. He's a God who gives up his very self to actually restore you into his relationship with him. He's a God who doesn't say, okay, you try hard enough and you'll, you'll get what you're after. He's a God who says, I'm here for you now. Receive me and trust me. And when you know him, slowly that desire grows. You put on more of the new self, and you begin to live in a way that not only glorifies God, but fulfills you and makes you who God meant for you to be. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God. And said, that's how you were created. Adam created in the image and likeness of God. And that's what we lost through sin. And that's what he restores as you desire him, as you love him, as you receive him. He makes you what he intended for you to be. Now unto him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine, be honor and glory and power forever. Amen.